watch Mitchell and Webb Sound, starring David Mitchell and Robert Webb, with Olivia Coleman and James Barkman. Ah, good morning, John. Morning, Hugh. And how are you in your excellent corner shop this fine morning? Good. Good, thanks, Hugh. Right, good. Well, there you go. Loaf of Hovis, telegraph and an apple. Right, Hugh. Well, uh, John, just thinking, I I tell you what, John. Yes, Hugh? I actually feel... Oh, oh, yes, I'm, I'm actually overcome with a sudden thirst. Goodness, I'm thirsty. Oh, I I really am. I've got a tremendous thirst on all of a sudden. Oh. Yes, actually, I I think I'd better grab something to drink right away. Do do you recommend anything? Well, we have lots of different drinks, as you know, Hugh. Yes, yes, you do, all all along that wall. But but I'm so thirsty, I, I feel like grabbing something right at hand, something from this chiller. Here we go. Export Jürgenbrau. Yes, maybe I'll have one of these. Yes, maybe you will. Actually, now, now I notice this is an alcoholic lager beer, isn't it? John? <laughs> 10% alcohol. <laughs> Blimey, that, that's quite a lot, isn't it, John? Yes, Hugh. It's the most alcohol per milliliter at the lowest cost in this corner shop. <laughs> is it really? How, how fascinating. It's the continental way, isn't it? In, in Spain, they wouldn't dream of starting the day without a, a couple of cans and a vodka chaser. <laughs> Probably. So, h- how much does all that come to? £2.70, Hugh. Oh, actually, now I look, I-, I don't think I can afford this bread and paper and an apple and this <laughs> I-, I might put the apple back. Would- will I have enough then, John? Not quite, Hugh. Oh, oh dear. Well, I won't enjoy my toast without my apple and my paper. I, I need all three for an enjoyable breakfast. Maybe I'll put all these three items back and maybe get... Two cans of, of this of this lager beer you recommend. Just in case the one doesn't rid me of my perishing thirst. That is the usual solution. Well, farewell, John. Farewell, Hugh. And would you like to put the miniature bottle of amaretto that's accidentally fallen into your jacket pocket back? Oh, thank you, John. Yes, that could have been embarrassing. And you know what? I'm, I'm feeling so thirsty, I might just crack this open and drink it on the step of your shop. <laughs> yes, Hugh, of course. And why don't you have a lie down on the pavement afterwards if you're feeling a bit sleepy? <laughs> what an excellent idea, John. This bear has been driven mad. He is one of hundreds of bears in Turkey, India and all over Eastern Europe made to dance for public entertainment and turned insane by the appalling conditions under which they're kept. You can help to set them free. Please send just £3 a month to Free the Mad Bears, (laughs) P.O. Box 18, London, or call the number below. Together, let's set the mad bears free. (laughs) Oh, and that's a bad miss. Oh, and he thought that was in. Look at the way Jimmy Logan's shoulders are sagging as he retreats from the table. Another blow to the people's favourite in what has been, as we all know, 
a very difficult eight or nine years for Jimmy. Yes, he's, he's certainly been struggling for form. He's been struggling for money, Peter, is, is, is what he's been struggling for. And he's not earning any sitting there watching a much younger man clear up. Yes, young Matthew Stevens potting away there like the whole world's made of pocket. <laughs> While Jimmy there is out of pocket in more ways than one. a good one. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Imagine That, the show that takes the gin from gin and tonic and adds it to Ima That to create a cocktail of creativity. <laughs> Joining me as always are my trusty gang of imaginatorizers, the journalist and broadcaster Mark Kendall. Good evening. The author June Faulkner. Good evening. And the head of physics at University College London, Professor David Trussell. What? Who's there? Who are you? Don't Touch me! Get off! Get off! Get off! It's good evening. Sorry, I was asleep, having a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> and our first question tonight comes from Miss Elma Topawaz from Stratford, who asks, <laughs> can the panel imagine a brand-new sound? Mark Kendall? All right, I'm imagining a sound. Can you describe it? Yes, it's sort of mauve. A, a mauve sound? Yes, mauve with a dash of crimson stippling, and it's like the soft patter of an angel's tears as they drip into a slurry pit. And how does it go? Sort of boo-hoo-hoo-squelch. 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 Excellent, excellent. June Faulkner, <laughs> any new sounds entering your head? Um, yes, I've got quite a good one. It's like two cats made of Velcro, constantly fighting, then being pulled apart over and over again. <laughs> your sound is angry feline Velcro? In a word, yes. In three words, yes, it is. <laughs> In four words, yes, it is, yes. In five words... Yeah, we get the idea. And how does your sound sound? Ah, oh, who guards the guards? <laughs> that doesn't actually make any sense. Give me your angry Velcro cat sound. All right, it's sort of... Thank you, June Faulkner. Uh, <laughs> Professor Trussell, can you imagine a new sound? Will you leave me alone? Get out and leave me alone. Nod it off again. No, I've just had it with you. <laughs> Fair enough. And your sound? It's a very round sound, like the tolling of a bell, but a bell made from beef with a clapper made of pastry. <laughs> sort of inverse beef Wellington bell. If you like. But it's a sound that rolls around the sky, tonal and mighty, echoing plaintively above the fields of Britain, then sinking low, low, low. It is a bell ringing like time itself, merciless, unwavering, deep-throated, resonant and gloriously fearful. And how does it go? Bong. <laughs> that's it? Yeah, and if you don't like it, you can imagine your own. Sadly, that's all we have time for in Imagine That this week. I can't imagine where the time's gone. <laughs> I don't get it. Good night. This is an urgent appeal. Thanks to your help, we have been able to give freedom to hundreds of circus bears in Eastern Europe, driven mad by their captivity. 
Sadly, the story and our duty to these noble and savage creatures doesn't end there. Provision needs to be made for these animals if they're to live out their lives in a way that is peaceful and safe for all. So please send whatever you can afford to save us from the mad bears. P.O. Box 18, London. Please help. They're closing in. And was it you that found the body? Uh, yeah, I found it in my cave next to my fire uh, first thing this morning. And can I ask you what you do? I'm a caveman, same as everyone else. Of course. Yeah, so um, I found the body first thing, and I immediately went to fetch the caveman police. You did the right thing, sir. Leave it to us. We're getting an expert in to examine the body, find out the cause of death. Oh, good oh. And here is cavewoman pathologist Ursula. Morning, detective. Morning, Ursula. This could be an interesting one. Let's have a look. Well, it looks like he was killed with some kind of stone implement. Not again. It's rife. Sometimes I think the whole advance into stone technology has been a bit of a double-edged sword. A what? I've no idea. <laughs> Time of death? I think I could narrow it down to... before now. <laughs> OK, let's start investigating. Did anyone see this man being killed? No. Right, I'm all out of ideas. <laughs> All we can say is, at some point before now, someone hit this man to death with a stone and nobody saw who it was. The perfect crime. The perfect crime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's a bad miss. <laughs> Jimmy would be disappointed with that, Ted. That's certainly no way to pay the mortgage. Or the back taxes. Or the Batman. <laughs> Or your membership of the Professional Snooker Players Association, which, for Jimmy, very nearly lapsed last year. But Stephen Hendry put his hand into his pocket like he has done so many times before. And on top of that, there's the alimony. Little Darren will be watching this game, willing his dad on and thinking of Christmas. Of course, the nightclub closed. Jimmy's, I think it was called. Not the most imaginative of names, but that was probably the least of its problems, what with the asbestos and the cockroaches. And the tragic ecstasy-related death of that judge's daughter. No, that didn't help either. Well, Jimmy coming back to the table now. Good luck, mate. Caricature, sir. Madam, would you like a caricature? Sorry? Caricature, mate. Of me? Yes, mate. Caricature, just ten pounds. Like these ones you have here? That's right. Ten pounds? That's right. Sorry, you want me to pay ten pounds for something that makes me look ugly? Ugly. That's right, mate. A caricature. I don't understand. You want me to sit for you in one of the busiest public thoroughfares in the world so that you can methodically categorise my every physical failing for posterity before the wry gaze of strangers from all nations? <laughs> That's right, mate. I'm evil. Ten pounds. <laughs> 
ten pounds for the privilege of smiling greyly, wondering what you'll do with my asymmetrical ears or my grotesque clustering teeth. And the nose, mate. Well, yes, the nose. Your horrible nose, mate. And the teeth. Ten pounds, twelve pounds. Twelve pounds? Yes, mate. I'm evil. Twelve pounds to sit there, lost and ashamed in a clammy trauma. Yes, mate. Twelve pounds, ugly picture. You, take it home. Fifteen pounds. Fifteen pounds? Yes, mate. Fifteen pounds to sit here like a guest on Vernon Kay's head jam. Fifteen pounds. Twenty pounds. Twenty pounds for grinning totem of my every shortcoming. Hang it on the wall, mate. It can mock you. Twenty pounds. Show your friends. I'm not going to show my friends. Of course not. Don't have any friends. Drove them away, mate, didn't you? Twenty pounds. Was it the teeth? It was the teeth, wasn't it, mate? No. It was her, mate, wasn't it? It's in your face. Twenty-five pounds. She made you lose contact with them, didn't she, mate? Became the only person... The only person I cared about. Yes, mate. The only bloody woman I ever loved. More than life itself, mate. Your reason for living, wasn't she, you hackneyed loser? Twenty-five pounds. The only reason I have for hanging around this joyless ball. And your inertia, mate. Your own wretched inertia. Apart from the inertia, of course. Why'd she leave, mate? The teeth. Was it the teeth? It was the face. Yes. Your face. Yes. Your face. 30 quid for your horrible face. Take it home, mate. Hang it up on your otherwise bare, dimly lit... Peeling. Peeling, fat-stained walls. Stare at it. Caricature. Remind you of her. 30 quid. Bound in nightmarish eye contact. It can survive you, mate. Laughing at you, mate, when you're dead. 30 quid. 30 pounds. 50. I'm evil. I am beginning to find the thought strangely attractive. There you go. Fifty pounds. Sit down. Very romantic, you ugly. A gesture such as this might win her back, mightn't it? No, mate. You've lost her forever. Right. I sit here, do I? Look at you. (laughs) The mad bears are now demanding honey. These noble beasts, for so long mistreated by humanity, for we have perhaps become too mighty. Although it doesn't always feel like it. Look, please help these noble beasts to enjoy the retirement they've deserved and in general to just calm down. Send whatever you can afford today to Honey for the Mad Bears. P.O. Box 18, London. Do you know, it's actually impossible to buy a mobile phone without a camera in it now. That's absolutely ridiculous. I know. I mean, I have a camera, rather a nice new digital camera. And if I want to take photographs, that is what I shall use. Not an inferior version that happens to be attached to my phone, with which I may be attempting to make a call to chat to someone about the very moment of happiness, drama, or everyday good fellowship that I am also attempting visually to capture. Quite. I had exactly the same problem when I came to buy my microwave. I literally could not find one that did not also have a clock on it. I said, I understand that it should have a timer that is integral to its function, but a clock to tell me the time of day, regardless of its relation to what I'm cooking and whether or not it's nearly done, mocking me for my eccentric mealtimes, what an oof is the point? Indeed. For the time, I have my watch, of which I'm extremely proud, it being the only one I could find that didn't also force on me superfluous information such as the date. Let it tell me the time alone, I said to the man. For the date, I have a rather fine calendar. The only one I could find that wasn't attached to photographs depicting an idealised version of what the weather may be like at that time of year. Indeed. I wouldn't own a barometer if I intended my calendar to inform me of the weather. My rather fine barometer, with the bit off the top containing a thermometer snapped off and destroyed. (laughs) 
I had exactly the same problem when purchasing my car. I require a means of transport, not a sitting room on wheels, I said to the man. <laughs> Radio and CD player having been dispensed with, what on earth, I went on to ask, has it got a heater for? <laughs> Regulation of temperature is no business of a means of transport, covering up for its own failure to achieve its destination with pernicious yet assuaging warmth. <laughs> Indeed. A car is for driving to places. If I wish to be warmed on the way, I'll do what I've always done and burn remainder copies of my autobiography on the back seat. <laughs> who wouldn't? Furthermore, let those who find the sensation of air rushing towards them at 70 miles an hour somehow beneath them buy windscreens, rather than the rest of us have them foisted upon us. <laughs> I like you. Shall we go for a drink? Only if we can buy it somewhere where they don't also do food, seating, warmth, sky television and ashtrays. <laughs> Indeed not. We shall do what I always do. Buy it at the offy and drink it in the park. Capital. <laughs> uh, thank you all for coming. Uh, as you know, we're here to mourn the passing and celebrate the memory of my oldest friend, Mike. Mike, who could have been my brother-in-law had it not been for the baffling decision by his sister Natasha to break off our engagement some six months ago. I think what I will remember most about Mike was his common sense and his love of justice. Uh, to take Natasha's dumping of me as an example, um, he would often say how it was a terrible idea which was not just senseless and mystifying, but also cruel. And that's what he said. <laughs> During his last illness, uh, Mike behaved in a typically selfless and altruistic manner whenever I visited him. He'd never let me ask him how he was. Let's not talk about me, mate, he'd say. How are you? Has that sister of mine come to her senses yet? Not yet, Mike, I'd be forced to say. <laughs> Don't worry, it's just a matter of time. You're made for each other. It's probably my dying wish that you should be together. <laughs> so goodbye, Mike. Uh, I know all of us here hope in our hearts that some good can come out of this tragedy. Uh, that is, of course, very much up to Natasha. I know you slept with that builder, but I don't mind. So, she must have grown enormously since the last time you saw her. Oh, I, I, I don't know. Not, not really. I mean, I mean, she's still very, very small but, but for a person. But she was, she was only a baby, remember? You wouldn't hold her. I, I didn't want to break it. Her. <laughs> Is, it, is, is she not a baby now, then? Of course not. Jenny's a proper little girl now, isn't she? <laughs> oh, look, she's coming to give you Mr Womble. Oh, isn't that kind of you, Jenny, to give Uncle John Mr Womble? Thanks. <laughs> what, what should I do with it? Perhaps Mr Womble's got something to say. Do a Womble voice. Oh, no. <laughs> Make him say, Hello, Jenny. Um, hello. Make him say hello, Jenny, in a womble voice. Hello, Jenny. In a womble voice. Uh, hello. Give it here. Look. Hello, Jenny, I'm Mr. Womble. Give me a kiss. <laughs> that is like no womble voice I've ever heard. Now you try it. Well, well haven't we established you as Mr. Womble now? Go on. Uh... Hello, Jenny. Yeah, that's more like it. Oh, she loves this. Say, Mr. Womble wants to give Jenny a kiss. Uh, Mr. Womble wants to give Jenny a kiss. Give her a kiss from the Womble, then. Uh, 
uh, what, just sort of dab it against her? Yeah. <laughs> with, with the kiss noise. Um, right, here we go. Kiss noise. No! <laughs> Do a kiss noise. Um, you know, like... OK, I... <laughs> here comes Jenny! I'll, uh... Massive kiss from Mr Womble. Uh, go on, John. Uh... Oh, God, I'm so embarrassed! <laughs> I'm so miserably embarrassed and I want to die! Oh. I'm really sorry, Susan, but I'm finding having to do all this mental womble kiss stuff in public incredibly embarrassing. This isn't in public. It is. There's at least one person who isn't me here, and, <laughs> and in your view, two. Right. <laughs> well, John, I'm sorry you feel like that. It's a shame that you don't really like coming round here. It, it is a massive shame that I hate coming round here. <laughs> I'm deeply ashamed that your child, and at the moment it seems any child, just fills me with fear and bewilderment. You can't take that attitude to children, John. Children are important. I know. I, I know all this. I know that what I feel basically makes me a villain in a Roald Dahl story. <laughs> I am the guy who doesn't like children. That's not a nice guy to be. Well, no. You know, at school, when, when you're eight, you wouldn't give the time of day to anyone who's seven. Well... I've never really got out of that mindset. I don't know, John, maybe one day, if you have your own kids, you might find them a bit less disgusting. Yeah. But then I'd have to have sex, and there's no way I'm doing that. You may remember our recent appeal to free the mad bears of India, Turkey and Eastern Europe. Well-meaning, though our work has always been... There is sometimes, it seems, a human, as well as a bear, cost. So please send just £3 a month to Orphans of the Mad Bear Massacre, <laughs> P.O. Box 18, London. Oh, and that's a bad miss. <laughs> that was a cruel miscue. And as the cue ball careers into the black, Jimmy Logan must be wishing that his bank balance would do something similar. <laughs> this game is tough, Peter. Jimmy knows that. But what on earth possessed him to think that horse racing was going to be any easier? <laughs> he called it an investment. In reality, he was hanging around Labrooks instead of practising his long pots. <laughs> And the results are there for all to see on his careworn face with its bad wig that no longer matches his remaining hair. It comes to something when you're dyeing your wig grey in your hotel sink. And as he did that, Peter, Jimmy must surely have glanced up at the mirror and contemplated the remains of the man staring back at him. I almost wish he wouldn't play anymore. It's like watching a pigeon that's been half run over trying to limp its way out of a bus stop puddle. Yeah, I saw that on my way in as well. Let's hope Tony Drago can run him over with this massive pink. It'd be kind. Is there any point in inviting Saddam Hussein? Because I'm in a real mood with him. He hasn't replied to the last five messages I've left. Oh, I, I think things are just really up in the air with his career at the moment. We, we should ask him, though. He could probably do with a good knees up. Well, 
I am cross with him, but he is fun. When he's got his cigar on the go, he does a cracking impression of Hannibal from the A-Team. <laughs> it is uncanny. You know, I love it when a plan comes together. I mean, I can't do it, but him. Yes. And, of course, that's wonderfully self-deprecating, because, as he was telling us at that do, things have been going pretty pear-shaped for him at work. <laughs> he seemed to be keeping a sense of perspective about the whole thing, though, didn't he? You can't win them all, Robert, he was saying to me while he was helping me lay out the dips. Yes, he, he was totally chilled, and he, he had us all in stitches with one of his torture gags. He, he's really got a wicked sense of humour. <laughs> it is infectious. He was telling his torture gags, and you're going, no, Saddam, stop it, it's awful, stop it, Saddam. But, you know, you're laughing despite yourself. Yes, it, it's a very dark sense of humour he's got. I imagine he's very fond of things like Phoenix Nights or Six Feet Under. Yeah. <laughs> It's just a question of getting him along. Have you got his email? That doesn't seem to work now. You, you just get this cryptic auto-reply. You know, I'm out of the office at the moment, things are a bit all over the place. If it's regarding Iraq, please contact the American Military Command. But no forwarding email? No. He's got a Hotmail account, but I don't think he ever checks it. Oh, well, he... <laughs> oh, well, he won't do. I mean, that's about the only thing that seems to get him angry. The levels of service that Hotmail provides these days, Sanab Hussein was saying to me, just beggar belief. <laughs> I had to agree. He was trying to download how to dismantle an atomic bomb, but he reached his download limit. What, did he have an atomic bomb? No, of course he didn't. I mean, the U2 album, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. The guy loves Bono, always has. <laughs> I hope nobody misinterpreted that conversation you were having. I think he's just... <laughs> I think he's just having a bit of a time of it. There seems to have been a big change at work. I don't know the details, but it looks like he's been passed over or sidelined. But he's been there years. I know, but, you know, new people, new ideas. So I think he's just having to regroup. Yeah, and he had that awful trouble with his family. Oh, what was that? Well, it's a bit weird, really, but both his sons got shot. Got shot? How did that happen? Oh, I think just wrong place at the wrong time, you know. Oh, well, that is a shame, because they were a charming couple of young men. Yeah. So, all in all, I think he's just having one of those periods in your life where you've had a bit of a knock and you have to stand back and get your head together. Yeah, well, knowing Saddam, I'm sure he'll take a lot of positives out of that. Yeah, so sometimes things happen for a reason, you know. And he looks well, I must say. I saw him on the news. I was on the phone, so I didn't hear what he was doing. But I think he was opening some new courtroom or something. And he looked absolutely terrific. Really? Yeah, he's got this whole new look. He's dropped the whole military figure-hugging khaki thing that wasn't doing him any favours. And that bloody Frank Spencer beret we all used to take the piss out. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was his other good impression. What a sport. <laughs> he's lost a lot of weight. He was wearing a simple suit with a nice open-neck shirt and a smartly trimmed beard. He looked like Omar Sharif. Do, do you think he went on that Trini and Susanna? No. I'm sure we would have heard about that. Thanks to your help, the plight of hundreds of circus bears driven mad by their captivity and of the hundreds of people who live near former bear enclosures has been greatly alleviated. And now we're asking for you to make a difference once again. So please, adopt a mad bear today. <laughs> we'll send you our Adopt-A-Bear mug and sticker set our monthly newsletter and a mad bear. <laughs> Hi.
That Mitchell and Webb Sound starred Robert Webb, David Mitchell, Olivia Coleman, and James Barkman. It was written by David Mitchell and Robert Webb, James Barkman and Mark Evans, Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, Simon Kane, Jonathan Dryden Taylor, and John Finnemore. The producer was Gareth Edwards. Thank <laughs> you.